Hello, and welcome to Biota. I'm your host, Phil Gibson. This is part two of my interview with Gary McManus, a senior climatologist with the Oklahoma Climatological Survey. He plays a critical role in the process of evaluating, interpreting, and sharing data from the Mesonet. You can access the Mesonet and its wealth of data at www.mesonet.org. You can also read Gary's educational and highly entertaining Mesonet ticker at www.ticker.mesonet.org. In the previous episode, Gary described what the Mesonet is and what it can tell us about Oklahoma weather. In this conclusion to the interview, Gary talks about the bigger issues like mega droughts in the western U.S., changing oceanic currents, and the big issue of global climate change. And so this is going to have huge impacts on agriculture in our state and definitely in the West, because it, it, as I understand it, it's not just the rain, but also snow is an important part of this, particularly in those mountainous regions. Right. Of course, you know, a lot of that, uh, uh, I guess you would say a lot of the agricultural water used out in California comes um, not from what falls on California, but what falls on the mountains and is released to snow melt. And then it's apportioned by political structures. And, uh, um, you know, we're already hearing things about how farmers are destroying their pecan farms because they can't uh, be sustained with the, the amount of moisture that they're getting out there now. Pecans, apparently, from what I understand, are incredibly moisture dependent and moisture, uh, um, I guess, hogs. So they take a lot of moisture to grow. And then, you know, when you have these droughts that we've had over the last 10, 15 years out in the West, they're just not fruitful anymore, pardon the pun. Um, so when you start to look at uh, changes, not only in the, uh, the precipitation, you have to look at that, those snowfalls. Um, you know, if the snow falls, even if it's a great snow and it melts early, well, that water's already, you know, down the river and it's not being used for it when it needs to be used. So um, it's not just the amount of precipitation, it's the timing and the timing of that snow melt. So it's a, it's a lot more complicated um, out west when they start to deal with water than it is for us, I think, um, uh, you know, because they have to they have to be a lot more politically attuned to how that water is apportioned um, to essentially what is a huge desert area. Uh, you know, people don't want to hear it, but much of the southwest part of the United States, including much of California, is basically a desert. It's an area where a lot of rainfall doesn't fall. So uh, imagine putting Los Angeles in the Oklahoma panhandle. That's sort of the sort of that's sort of the uh, um, the same type of precipitation structure. Um, and there's not a lot of precipitation or that falls in the Rockies that comes to the east of the Rockies down into the uh, uh, the Oklahoma Panhandle, it makes it, you know, a, a mecca for population explosion like the Los Angeles has been. Um, so, uh, yes, this is a lot more difficult to to get a grasp of when you start talking about uh, the water situation out in the western part of the United States. Let's let's think about something else you mentioned now, and that is the idea of these extreme weather events. Sure. And so here in Oklahoma, uh, this past year, we had you know, snowstorm, ice storm <laughs> coming at completely unexpected times, at least uh, as far as the, the one that came in, I believe it was October. Yep. But then we also have incredible hurricanes mm-hmm. um, seeming to be larger, more intense, um, greater frequency. So, so can you explain how the, the 
apparent increased frequency of these extreme events. What's what's driving that? Well, I mean, again, it's it's the climate change. It's the warming of the atmosphere and the whole climate system. Basically, we've supercharged the uh, the hydrologic cycle uh, of the Earth. So, um, you know, you heat up the atmosphere, you heat up the ocean system, you increase the amount of evaporation, you increase the amount of energy available for storms. Um, and weather systems, you increase the amount of uh, water vapor available uh, to precipitate out as different types of precipitation. Basically, what we've done is we've taken our normal extreme weather across the globe and we've amplified it with uh, increasing the amount of uh, uh, heat we've, uh, we've started to retain um, in the Earth's climate system. So, uh, unfortunately, one of the ways we recognize uh, the changing weather is changes in extremes. Um, Again, if you, I like to call it the Facebook effect, okay? So uh, if you joined Facebook um, and you added a friend that you hadn't seen since high school, let's say uh, 30 years ago, you, you left a friend, you saw him when you were 18, and then you added them when you were uh, 48, and you take a look at their picture, you think, my goodness, what happened to you? You know, that instantaneous change that you see from 18 to 48 is quite jarring. Um, so, but if you saw that person every single day, you'd think, oh, that's just Joe, that's just George. I've seen him every day, he looks the same to me. Um, but so if we if we, uh, if we we look at our day-to-day weather, we're thinking, yeah, this is the way our, our climate is. It doesn't seem that much different. But again, if you start where we started in the 1970s and you all of a sudden were transported to the 2020s, and you think, well, this, What's happened to the weather? I mean, winters aren't even like close to what they used to be. So it's that it's the, it's those extremes how we experience climate change really. Um, so when we see this extreme events, um, like uh, we can go back to just the year uh, 2011 when we saw um, one of our worst droughts on record uh, with the uh, the hottest year on record, uh, at least the hottest summer. Uh, for any state in the United States for any year occurred right here in Oklahoma based on a statewide average basis, June through August. So the climatological summer happened right here um, in Oklahoma. We actually tied Texas um, with that dubious record. That same year and earlier in February, um, we had our coldest temperature ever recorded in Oklahoma, minus 31 degrees at the Nowata Mesonet site. Um, which is, you know, that's another weather extreme. We had our highest snowfall, 24-hour snowfall event um, just a few days earlier, uh, February 9th, um, an upper Spavanaugh of 27 inches in Oklahoma in, in that year, 2011. Um, we had our highest ever recorded wind speed in 2011 at the El Reno tornado of 152 miles per hour. Um, we had our largest hailstone ever recorded uh, at Godibo. A six-inch hailstone that fell. So all of these records fell in one single year. Um, Also, the year that we had our our hottest summer on record. 2012 was our hottest year on record here in Oklahoma. So when we start to talk about these, uh, and then 2015 was our our wettest year on record. So we're breaking all these all-time records in a shorter and shorter time frame. They start to happen more and more. And let's talk about that 27-inch snowfall amount. You think, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with the climate change. Well, it probably does because, again, we've increased the amount of evaporation that's going on in the atmosphere uh, from the, the ocean surfaces. So we have more uh, water vapor available for, to precipitate out. 
and we get that increased amount of water vapor available, um, mix that with cold air, and you have a higher uh, snowfall intensity. Um, not only did we break it in, in 2011, we'd previously broken it in 2009, in March 2009, when Woodward um, had recorded uh, 20, I think it was 24 inches of snowfall in 24 hours. So we broke our all-time 24-hour snowfall record twice in basically 18, 19 months. Um, so it's those that increased uh, frequency of these extremes, the extreme of the extremes that we're starting to see more and more. Um, uh, so if you talk about the hurricanes, uh, hurricanes have obviously started to become more intense um, stronger, uh, but they've also slowed down and they start to intensify more rapidly. Not saying they're more frequent. Um, of course, we had an extreme amount of uh, hurricanes last year, uh, largely due to the fact it was a La Nina year. We're also in a La Nina there this year. Um, so we're looking for a, probably an active um, hurricane season that's already started. Um, but hurricanes have started to uh, when they do occur, they intensify more rapidly. They become more intense at their strongest point, and they've also slowed down. So whenever they strike land, um, they rain and they rain and they rain. Um, and, you know, Hurricane Harvey that struck uh, the Texas Gulf Coast, uh, Houston area a few years ago, that hurricane was intensely strong, but it was really uh just the rain, the amount of rain that fell was the real disaster. Um, over 60 inches of rain in that one event. And, you know, some of the, uh, uh, some of the, the studies that come out on that uh, hurricane show that, you know, it was tens of billions of dollars uh, worth of damage done due to that rainfall and the hurricane itself. Um, largely about 70% of that damage was attributable to, cli attributable to climate change. Um, so when you start to see the types of extreme extremes uh, be attributed to climate change more and more, um, then you start to wake up and take notice. Well, we don't have to wait and see the changes in climate change. They're already here. And it's really, again, through those extremes that we notice that. You mentioned with the hurricanes, the role of the oceans. And one of the things that came out in the last Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report was talking about the, the circulation in the Atlantic Ocean and how that plays a role in climate. So I, I know that the, the whole aspect of oceans and, and how, how that fits into the, the global climate system is, is a huge and complex topic, but at least thinking about what, what would be the general take-home message about why um, ocean circulation patterns would be something that we should be thinking about with our changing climate. Right. Well, of course, the, the oceans are our drivers of climate. Um, when it's cold over land, the oceans are a certain temperature. And when it's, when it's warm over land, the oceans are a certain temperature. They tend to remain a little bit more steady state. Um, but, you know, we deal with, with our weather across not only the United States and this part of the, the United States here in the Southern Plains, but across the globe, we're impacted by what are called teleconnections. So um, weather patterns, uh, different sorts of disruptions in other parts of the globe translate to weather across other parts of the globe. So it's just like El Nino and La Nina, when we have these changes in temperature of the oceanic uh, uh, surface in the, uh, the uh, equatorial Pacific off the west coast of South America, that impacts our weather here 
um, in the southern plains a certain way. Um, so if you change the, uh, the temperature patterns, not only of the surface in the Atlantic, but also that Atlantic meridional um, overturning circulation, the great conveyor belt that, that uh, uh, is a great heat transfer engine of the ocean. If you change the, uh, uh, that uh, circulation, you really do just absolutely disrupt the, the climate of the Northern hemisphere and in part the Southern hemisphere as well. You know, some of the changes that could occur um, a cooler northern hemisphere, which might sound, well, we're warming, maybe that would be a good thing, but it's really different than that because then you start to impact the, uh, the precipitation patterns. You're looking at uh, much lower precipitation, possibly over the North American continent, um, much colder winters in Europe. Um, so you just really start messing with the, 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 the real cogs of our, of our climate system here, especially across the Northern Hemisphere. And when you start to change those oceanic circulations and, you know, the, the AMOC is what, what they call it, is, a, is one of the prime drivers of our climate. Um, so you start to mess with that and the, the Gulf Stream, um, and you can really foul things up. Now, not quite like what we saw in the, uh, the movie uh, a decade or so ago. What was the name of that movie? The, the one where the day after tomorrow, I think. Oh, right. Where, where just instantly uh, huge hurricanes moved over and instantly froze uh, the surface with stratospheric air. That was a, it was a fun movie to watch, but sort of the same sort of concept where um, uh, if you start to melt all that fresh water in the glaciers, uh, and the ice cap there in the, uh, uh, on Greenland, um, and you start to release that water, uh, that freshly melted water, that, that uh, uh, I guess the non-saline water versus the ocean water, the saline water of the ocean water. When you start to uh, release that into the ocean, you start to change the salinity, and also you start to change the temperature um, of the ocean in that part of that uh, uh, area of the, the ocean where it starts to, to downturn. Um, you really start to foul things up. So um, it's really a, one of the things that we look at when we look at the, uh, the changing of the oceans when it comes to um, climate change that we worry about as we go into the future. What would the, 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 the changing of that Atlanta, Atlantic Marianal uh, overturning circulation do um, if it, it was uh, disrupted. Um, let's let's come back to Oklahoma a little bit. Sure. Now that we've talked about sort of you know global global issues with climate change. Uh -huh. How does how does climate change affect tornado season here? I mean, just it seems to me, just in my casual observations, that. It's not as we aren't having tornadoes as frequently that maybe they're shifting to other places in North America. Is that is that real? Is that just a uh, something just happens to be occurring? Well, there is a hint that there might be shifting to uh, uh, when, of course, we're called Tornado Alley here in the central part of the United States. There's what's known as Dixie Alley over in the southeastern part of the United States. Their tornado season tends to come a little bit earlier. So we're more. Uh, March through May through early June. They're more January through March, let's say. Um, there is a hint that some of that uh, real intense tornadic activity is shifting a little bit, but, you know, it was just a couple of years ago, we had our highest ever tornado count in Oklahoma history. Um, a lot of those were weak tornadoes, but we have to be really careful when we start to think about the shifting of the severe weather, because, you know, the next year could be the worst tornado season on record for Oklahoma. It's just that random. Um, and it, there's a lot of things that go into it. 
we talk about climate change and the impacts on severe weather, it's really um, a difficult thing to ascertain because when you start to talk about the ingredients that go into making a tornado um, or a, a supercellular thunderstorm, just the thing that spawns a tornado, it takes a very specific set of ingredients. Um, so you have to know like what would happen if uh, the, the surface winds changed a certain amount or if the, the winds at 500 millibars changed a certain amount or the winds at 200 millibars changed just a certain amount. What if they all changed in unison due to climate change? What if the, uh, the amount of uh, dry air, the aridity uh, pushed farther to the east? What if that changed the, the natural location of dry lines? Um, the amount of moisture available, uh, the cap, the inversion that holds that cold air or that warm air in place until it can explode and form those, uh, those thunderheads. All of those things go into to determining, you know, the severe weather outbreak. Um, so how does each one of those fine minute ingredients change enough um, to change the severe weather season? It's like, you know, if you, if you get the ingredients for a cake and you change uh, instead of two cups of flour, if you get a, a cup and three quarters of flour and you take salt and you take it down from, I don't know, two tablespoons to a tablespoon and a half, how does that change the cake? Um, does it become still a good tasting cake or is it complete disaster? That's what we don't know about how things are exactly going to change um, with our severe weather. One of the things that we do look at when we look at the things we can tell that are changing would be possibly uh, more hail events and more large hail events as we go into the future. Again, that's certainly not a set for now. It's just one of the things that the, the folks that study that sort of thing, like Dr. Harold Brooks at the National Severe Storm Lab, who's our local expert, um, really one of the founders of this type of research, points towards is, is a possibility of, of more hail events. Um, and, you know, we can talk all we want about tornadoes, but uh, people in Norman know what a, a hailstorm can do after what they've seen, you know, just over the last couple of months when we had that big hailstorm that hit Norman. Um, did, I don't know, a billion dollars damage, um, maybe not that much, but the hailstorms um, can do enough damage to where they're uh, quite impactful in their own right. So let's, let's sort of bring things to an end here and, sure. and uh, think about the, the future and, and, and what people can, can be considering. So if there's one thing that you, you think people should know, or, or maybe one thing that people don't quite understand about weather and climate that they should know better, what would you say that is? Mm, so many things. Um, I guess that, you know, our, 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 while our climate has always been variable and highly variable, especially here in the state of Oklahoma and the High Plains, uh, we're one of the places in, on the earth, actually, that has some of the most variable weather um, from tornadoes to, to severe thunderstorms to, to you know, uh, blizzards to intense cold events. Again, we had some of that just this year all in, all in one storm. Um, uh, dr severe droughts, uh, intense heat waves, intense cold air events. Um, even had remnants of hurricanes strengthen over the state before with Tropical Storm Aaron back in uh, 2007. So we run the gamut of all disasters. And actually, Oklahoma, since the year 2000, leads all states with the number of FEMA declared disasters. Um, so that's, a, again, a dubious honor, like the hottest um, summer on record, another dubious honor for the state of Oklahoma. And it's not even really close. So you think, 
well, you think some of those coastal states with the, the hurricanes would probably lead that, but no, it's right here in Oklahoma. So while we have some of the most variable and extreme weather on earth, um, what we need to know is it's probably going to get um, a little bit more intense as we go into the future because we are um, amplifying those extreme events. So um, I would want to urge people to, to consider that, you know, take those droughts, make them more intense and more frequent. That's what we're looking at. Uh, take those number of 100 degree days. Hasn't been bad this summer, but, you know, Oklahoma's not the canary in the coal mine um, when it comes to summer weather. Uh, we will eventually get hours and you're looking in the next 30, 40 years of uh, that uh, 2011 summer when we had um, as many as 101 days above 100 degrees here in Oklahoma. That'll become uh, instead of a once in a 100 year event, that'll become a once in a five year event. So it's the frequency of those extremes that's going to increase um, and the, the magnitude of those extremes will probably increase as well. So. Uh, you know, I can just sit here and keep giving uh, uh, examples. 500-year uh, events, you know, you expect those once every 500 years, those start to become, you know, once every 100 years, once every 50 years, once every 25-year events. So um, it's just taking all of the weather that we already have um, and amplifying it. So the extreme extremes, um, uh, start to come more frequently and they start to become more impactful. And, you know, as we start to cluster more and more in urban areas, um, we're going to see more and more impacts, not only in the rural regions, but especially here in the, 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 the urban areas, um, impacts to health, more ozone alert days, uh, more of those hot summer nights where it doesn't get down below 80 degrees where residents don't have proper shelter and, and uh, cooling capacity are impacted. So it's one of the things we're really going to have to watch um, over the next 10 to 20 to 30 years when these changes start to become more and more evident, not only in our warmer, wetter winters, but also our summer weather as the, that heat starts to accumulate. Well, thank you very much for taking time and, and answering these questions. It's a lot of really good information, and um, I appreciate you uh, doing this for us. Yep. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. That brings us to the end of my interview with Gary McManus. I hope that after hearing what he shared with us, you'll take time to investigate the Oklahoma Mesonet site and its many resources. I also hope that you will think about how work of meteorological and climate scientists not only give us information about what is happening in the weather today, but they also give us valuable information about patterns of weather, climate, and how they change over time. The evidence is clear that our climate is changing. Natural systems are responding to the changes, and humans are responsible for much of this. In the same way that we would listen to and heed the advice of atmospheric scientists when they tell us a storm is coming and we need to take shelter, we must also listen to what these and other scientists are telling us about climate change so that we can prepare and respond appropriately. To do anything less is basically the same as taking a nap in a backyard hammock while a tornado is bearing down on your house. I'm Phil Gibson, and this has been Biota. Once again, I want to thank Gary McManus from the Oklahoma Climatological Survey for making time in his schedule for this interview. And so as always, thanks for listening, have a great day, and take very good care of your genetic material. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you.